Sean Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. You're in the Transporter Room. This week we are talking about all of the hate, all of the bills, the state legislature's 23 last count. Who knows? I can't count that high. I was told there'd be no math. There's so much hate in our state houses across the country, across the United States, against transgender athletes, against trans kids, trying to stop parents from affirming their kids' authentic gender, trying to get healthcare providers to stop providing transition-related healthcare. And worst of all, in at least one state, trying to criminalize transition. Carly, these are scary times. When haven't they been scary though, when you think about it? Well, I'll because... tell you this, coming up, we're gonna to talk to a lawmaker who is on the floor. She is working to stop this kind of stuff. Plus she's also representing her town. She's there for her constituents, not just the trans folks in her district, but for every person in her district in Kansas. I said Kansas, right? Yes, Good. she did. You said, okay. can you said Kansas. But we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in Connecticut. I want to um, talk to Stephanie Byers about what it means to be a lawmaker who not only has enemies, I mean, let's face it, there are TERFs and there are transphobes, but she has people of another party who want to take her out of existence. They don't want her yes. to be who she is. And that's what being trans is like. Being trans is a constant battle for other people to see you as the way we see ourselves. Tell me about it. But on the other side, let's also look at the positive end of it. This representative Byers is a person who is representing constituents. It's not on the coast. It's happening in the Midlands, in the heartland. And you're finding more and more people like her being elected in places where you didn't think we could get elected and making a difference and fighting the good fight. So even amid the darkness, there's always bright light and there's always, dare I say, pardon the pun, dawn breaking hmm. through. I try. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, why don't we take a break? When we come back, let's talk to Stephanie Byers with Seth Borders for Kansas and beam her up to the transporter room. Stay with us. Among the wave of trans legislators who were elected in this last election cycle was one from District 86, House District 86 in the, in the Sunflower State of Kansas. That area is the Wichita general area. Wichita, best known for good, for good basketball and good aviation, and also for a trans legislator who's fighting that good fight. Representative Stephanie Byers, we're about to beam you up. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. <laughs> Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. I would like to ask you what it is that made you decide to go into politics? Because one of the things that stops me from going into politics, and I'll admit I am involved in a local Democratic Party. Uh, I am a very small, very small cog in a big wheel, but I know that there are enough people out there who would dig up stuff about me that would make me not want to ever run. So why did you decide to run? Um, 
I started to run because uh, for 32 years, I've been a public school educator. I retired in 2019 at the end of the school year then. And during that time in Kansas, of course, uh, the biggest chunk of our state funding goes to public schools. And we had a governor for a while that did whatever he could to reduce the amount of money that the state got. And it put us in a position where school districts ended up suing the state to try to just get cost of living wages. Uh, and I realized that as I watched all of these things going by over the, the years that I've been here in Kansas, that one of the voices lacking in all of this was an educator. And, you know, having that, that classroom experience, knowing what happens when you cut budgets, how it impacts a student in the classroom, not just a number on a page. Um, I felt like I kind of should be lending my voice to that, but I was so busy working. I was a high school band and orchestra director, which kind of explains the guitars. Um, but uh, I was so busy working that I didn't really have a chance to participate politically. When I transitioned to be my authentic self, I began to take on a role of more of an activist and spent time talking out about bathroom bills and other things that came out of our state capitol. And then in 2019, after I had retired, I was the communications director for Wichita's Pride Festival. We were setting up for our parade in September and my mom was walking through the crowd of the parade, parade participants, handing them bottles of water and saying, hi, I'm Steph's mom. And then she'd walk away. And she came over to where I was talking to our then Lieutenant Governor, Lynn Rogers and his wife, Chris. And she handed us water. I said, mom, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I'm telling these people who I am, who you are. And I said, but, you know, 150 people might know me. There's a thousand people here. So I hope you're not confusing them. She walked away saying, well, I'm just campaigning for you. And of course, standing there with Lieutenant Governor and his wife, that opened up conversation. And they started talking to me about, you know, there's some there's some openings for some politicians that you'd be a perfect fit for. And we had a conversation as I drove them down the parade route um, about all those different possibilities. At the end of the day, our pride board met together again to kind of decompress about what had happened. And I mentioned this had happened. And the president of our pride board looked at me and said, you live in House District 86. It's an open seat. If you are interested, I think you'd be a great fit for it. Let me know what you want to do. A week later, I was in Washington, D.C. on the same day they were hearing oral arguments for Bostock versus Clayton County. And I was standing outside of the U.S. Supreme Court speaking at an ACLU rally on behalf of GLSEN. I was the GLSEN 2018 Educator of the Year. And as I'm standing there delivering my words about the impact that legislation or Supreme Court rulings can have on LGBTQ teachers, and I've got the U.S. Capitol in front of me and the U.S. Supreme Court behind me, and the opportunity to run for Kansas House District 86 all at the same time, I decided at that point in time that, that, that I was being handed an opportunity and it would be foolish to not go ahead and step into it and make the most of it that I possibly could. And so that's what I did. And that's why I ran. Now, what was that race like? Because one thing, to the credit of your opponent, did not, did not make gender identity an issue in the campaign. No, she did not. Um, she was asked directly or very early on if she was going to. And she said, no, we're going to stick to the issues that are important to all the people of House District 86. And she stayed true to her word. Uh, not just her, no outside group made an issue of my gender identity. Um, and, you know, they, they did their opposition research. They went looking to find some things on me, um, you know, and uh, came up basically empty-handed. Um, because I've, I've just always believed that who you are should be seen for everybody. And if you don't have to worry about secrets, if you don't keep secrets, 
Um, and so it was able to do that. It just had the, the usual Republican attacks that I was going to be too liberal and um, approve of things that, that our Republican Party in Kansas has typically stood against. Um, you know, and it, it was uh, never having run for office. I can't say never. I ran for a high school choir librarian when I was a senior in high school. So this is my second time run for office. Um, but it, it was a different campaign, what I've been told, from what anybody else has done, mostly because of the pandemic. You lose a lot of that one-on-one -on -one contact. Um, we did most of our stuff digitally and uh, would do like lit drops where we intentionally tried to do it when people were not home so we wouldn't accidentally make contact and possibly spread disease. Um, but uh, it was just a smooth and easy campaign. It seemed like uh, that, that it was just we were able to focus on those issues that are important to every person to sit around their dinner table. Following up to that, even before then, you were already, even through your transition, you won a lot of hearts and minds. You were even nominated, you were even nominated and won an educator of the year award. What yes. did it mean? What did it mean for you to have your school community, the principal of where you taught Wichita North nominate you for it? You know, uh, he uh, he was an amazing uh, an amazing friend, um, and you know the fact that he was willing to do that, um, and not because anybody asked him. He actually called me up one day and said, "Hey, I just want to let you know if you get an email from these people, this is what I've done. This is what I said. This is what I sent to them." Um, and to the sense of acceptance and pride that came from him. Uh, the Wichita North High is one of the largest state high, one of the largest public high schools in Kansas. And with Mr. Padgett being there, it was also one of the most diverse and accepting buildings uh, in, in, the, in the city and of course across the state. Wichita has eight public high schools uh, in just the city limits itself. And so we'd have students that wanted to go to school at North High because they realized that it was an open and accepting environment. Um, and it was great for me to be able to be a part of that. Um, the moment that really came to the high end of it was the last senior pep assembly in 2018, the end of the year, um, because we'd gotten word early on that uh, a certain church-based hate group out of Topeka, Kansas was going to show up and protest uh, directly at me uh, and indirectly at Sherman Paget, uh, the two of us. And Word went out through the school, and that last pep assembly where our school colors were red and white became rainbow striped. It became pink, blue, and white, and there were trans flags flying in our gym, and there were pride flags flying in our gym, and stickers, and face paint in the colors of the trans flag, and signs that say, you love who you love. And we saw, you know, 2,200 students stand up and say, we're more accepting than those people that are out there on the sidewalk are. Westboro Baptist is still a thing. Yeah, we, we of course all know you're talking about Westboro Baptist. You may not want to say their name. I don't want to. I don't want to have your uh, your beautiful tongue tainted by those words. But Westboro Baptist Church, and we. I remember writing about that protest, and they were outnumbered like fifty to one. Oh, easily fifty to one. Um, you know, when I started getting contact from people saying we're to come counter protest, we we started trying to tell them, you know what. No one's going to pay any attention to them. So if we don't counter protest, 
we don't draw any attention to them either. And we get to be North High School inside our gym. And we and they were there while we were all inside. They left before school got out. Um, and so, you know, as far as the kids would go, the kids knew they were there, but the kids didn't see them. We didn't interact with them. Um, it was basically four people that got out of a tired old minivan with some beat up signs and stood on the sidewalk and and about 50 or 60 um, motorcyclists and some other adults that came out and stood in the lawn made sure that nothing happened. And, you know, it was, it just took the wind out of their sails completely. And I think that's one of the arguments. Like we had a protest like that here in Connecticut at a, a hospital that, um, you know, has health care for trans kids. It's Connecticut Children's Medical Center. And four protesters showed up and they were outnumbered by trans boys who showed up to counter protest. And I think that even if you think that it's best to just ignore these people, I think it's important for us to counter them and to add our voices and for especially cisgender people to join us. When they stand up, we are supported. And I would agree with that. I, I do think though that we need to make sure that counter protesters are know how these people operate uh, the reason why we found that they were coming is because they contacted Wichita Police Department to find out what kind of protections would be given to them when they stood on the sidewalk. And the reason why that is is because when those protections are violated, even just the smallest amount, um, most of the people at WBC are attorneys, and they turn around and sue the cities and townships for failure to provide the protections, and most cities and townships settle out of court, and that money goes back to fund their hate protests. Oh, and so, that's terrible. And the so same with it, the Alliance Defending Freedom. It's all about their lawyers and being able to clog up the courts. Oh, boy. I, I think that when I read that um, people are surprised that there's an organized effort in several states to, you know, go against trans athletes, Carly and I just roll our eyes because it's like, of course it's organized. What do you think? It just all sprung up all of a sudden? Yeah, it's... Uh, you don't have to look too far to find the models that the legislation in each of these states is based on. And most of the time, the only differences in the language has to do with whatever specific organization, like in Kansas, it's the uh, Kansas State High Schools Activities Association, and then uh, the Kansas Board of Healing Arts. Uh, in other states, they may have different names for those things, and those things will change in this legislation, but it's almost word for word uh, from one place to the next. And it's driven through the uh, Family Policy Alliance uh, and by way of uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, how is, how has the battle space been on these laws through through the House and through the Senate within the Kansas legislature? Well, and for we, yourself, how many? I mean, how have you been? How have you been able to change some minds? Have you been able to change some minds from? say some of the Roger Marshall types who could be in the House and the Senate in Kansas? You know, it's it's an interesting thing how, uh, as a new legislator, I'm still trying to get used to it, but a lot of people can compartmentalize what they do as far as legislation, different than how they treat somebody on an individual basis. And so one of the first bills that we saw that came up would have uh, made uh, a doctor prescribing puberty blockers would have charged them with a felony um, and the four people that promoted that legislation, that sponsored that legislation, are in the same wing of offices that, that I'm in. Uh, 
Uh, they're across the hall from me. Uh, one day walking down the hall to my office uh, with some uh, paintings that my daughter-in-law had done, one of the main sponsors stopped me and wanted to talk to me about my daughter-in-law's paintings and going on about how wonderful she is and what a great talent and, and everything. And I'm thinking, but you're actively sponsoring legislation that hurts people like me. And yet he's all friendly and smile standing in the hallway. Uh, and I think that part of it is they're beginning to see an actual face that goes with these, these things. They now know somebody who's trans. And I think that we may see some changes take place a little bit later on. Um, when the anti-trans sports bill showed up on our Senate side and I went and testified uh, against that bill, later on that day, one of the younger Republicans on the House side stopped me in the hallway and just said, I want you to know that we don't all think like that, that we're kind of split over this. And that, uh, you know, we're, and I just, you know, they, they told me this is mostly the younger people that we respect and honor people like you. Mm -hmm. And I just let them know, I said, you, you know, you, that those of you guys feel this way, you need to step up. You need to speak yeah. out. You need to make sure your party knows that, that not everybody thinks that way. And honestly, because of that, rift within the party is why we probably won't see this legislation show up on the house side now, one thing incidents like that and you're talking about there's a split in the party in the sense are you see i'm going to say his name is sam brownbackism dead in kansas oh brownback is not dead in kansas um and where we see it mostly is in our taxation plans um that they, there's been a serious push to cause some tremendous issues on the, the funding basis that we have for state government. Uh, and it's gonna put us kind of back to where we were in 2011, 2012 under Brownback. Uh, and it's, it's a hard battle to fight. Uh, so we're seeing that more than anything else. Um, but you know, we're, we're seeing hints and pieces all over the place. Uh, and uh, so, it's frustrating. We lost a lot of moderate Republicans this last election, uh, and they were replaced by much more conservative people. And, you know, so it's it's that balancing act between the younger people who are trying to espouse their conservative fiscal policies, but maybe a little more accepting on the social side. And those are the ones we're trying to make sure that they step up and, and make the, the statements to let the rest of their party know that they're not opposed to people like me. Stephanie, people like you are people who love, live, and have a story. Would you tell us a little bit about your story? How long ago was it that you realized something is not the same with me as it is with everyone else? I figured it out when I was in kindergarten. You know, um, and, and it was uh, it, playing house in kindergarten. And the, the girl that I was playing house with got very upset with me and went to our teacher, Mrs. Pomakia, and was complaining about the fact that I wanted to be the mom. And so my kindergarten teacher sat me down uh, and explained to me just in simple terms that little boys can be the daddies or the uncles or the brother, but they can't be the mom. And, you know, we, we all kind of pouted a little bit, went our separate ways, did nap time, and then right after that, the irony of then going into a lesson over how the monarch butterfly starts off its life as this ugly little caterpillar and transitions to this beautiful butterfly. And, you know, 
I just didn't have the words for it. And it, it was a hard thing. I'm, I'm the oldest of five. Um, and when, uh, my parents had children, they thought they were having all boys. So I have four younger brothers, uh, which has its own stuff. And, you know, I'm 58 years old, which means I was a kid in the sixties. I was an adolescent in the seventies, became an adult in the eighties and a parent in the nineties, you know, so my life kind of just dovetails with all the social changes that we've seen in that same time period as well. Um, and all those pressures to be a certain way and do a certain thing and stuff like that. Um, I kept myself buried very, very deeply for a very long time. Um, my, my wife now, uh, she and I were best friends when we were 10 years old and remained best friends all through high school. And when we got into college, went our separate ways and, and each of us had a different life with, you know, produce, she has two kids. I have two kids and, and, um, but she was the first person that I told and it was probably, when we were 16, 17 years old. Um, and, you know, when I was first diagnosed when I was in college at that, at the time, the term was that the psychologist said, well, you're most likely a transsexual. Um, uh, the first person I called was Lori and said, hey, guess what? And we both found ourselves at libraries trying to look information up. And, you know, in the middle of Oklahoma in 1980s, Pre-internet, no right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, and and so uh, it took me a while before I decided that that I could actually live authentically. And you know, as a public school teacher, the possibility of transitioning on the job um, was frightening because I did not know how anybody would react. I didn't know how the district would react. Um, I knew I was getting close to retirement. The last thing I wanted was someone to label me as as something that didn't need to be in the, the classroom and put me in a position where yeah, it would affect my retirement. Um, but I had to do it. There, there was no, as you know, you reach that point where you can't not do it. You have to do it. The advice that I've often give, given to people who are still closeted, having been closeted myself is, you should wait until you can't live any other way. Exactly. And, 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 and I don't mean to scare people. It's just that it is still fraught with um, risk. And if you can live a closeted life and be happy um, and not disrupt your family and your job and everything, then that's an option for you. But most of us just can no longer pretend or hide or it's almost like we're bottled. And once that bottle is opened, it just, it's breathing again and it's yes. living. And, you know, I had a really rough transition and I'm glad it, it sounds like yours went well. Thank goodness for that. It, it was, it was very good. Um, I didn't, didn't, didn't come off scot-free with it. Uh, my parents- Do any of us do that? <laughs> my, my, parents, do. my parents were very supportive. Um, my youngest brother refused to accept me um, and passed away a little over a year ago from cancer, still refusing to see me even on his deathbed. Um, I'm so sorry. You know, so I, I know how that feels. Uh, and I know that a lot of people have lose family when they do this. Um, yeah. You know, I, I went through a divorce um, and uh, you know, I, there are other contributing factors, not just because oh, yeah. of my transition, <laughs> um, but you know, my, my two sons are still close. They, they're very close. My, I, 
my between my wife and I, we have nine grandchildren, and they call her Nona, and they call me Didi. You know? <laughs> That's great. So. That's great. And you know, it's amazing. You said you were fifty-eight, and here we are. Both of us are twenty-nine. So it's nice to talk to an elder in the community. <laughs> I'm turning 57 this month and Carly's not far behind us. Well, last month I celebrated the 29th anniversary of my 29th birthday. There you go. There you That's go. That's way to put it. But one thing for, but I do want to talk about where, when you got to that point, for you, what was that, what was the straw that broke the camels back there? What was the point that says, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Now's the time I must move forward and be who I am. That is such a complicated thing. Um, a friend told me that when you're transgender, that you you know that, that you will die and you're going to die one of three different ways. You're going to die a very quick death at your own hand. And sadly, too many trans people do that. Um, you'll die a slow death, a kind of a death of the soul, where who you are just begins to, to evaporate inside the shell of the body that you're in, and it just continues throughout the rest of your life. Or you transition, and you live every day as best as you possibly can, and then when your life finally comes to an end, it's a life that's been well-lived, and it's a life that's been lived in honesty and truthfulness. And... I found myself at that place where I was losing who I was on a daily basis, every day um, getting more and more detached from the world around me, um, every day feeling like uh, it might be better if the world went on without me. And I just sat down one day and, and said, I, I can't do this any longer. Uh, even my spouse at the time looked at me and said, you, you need to go talk to somebody because this isn't something you can keep bottled around anymore. And, you know, uh, I started with talking to a therapist and began exploring what it was like to be able to actually show myself to other people um, and let people know who I really was on the inside. And then finally reached that point where I had done all the talking with all the counselors, all the therapists, and because of a school district, uh, the superintendency, the lawyers, the school board, and everybody said, how can we make this happen for you? What can we do? Thank goodness for that. And I did want to add, though, one caveat. You and I are very blessed to have both uh, white privilege and we benefited from having male privilege for so many years. But the other way that so many of us die, and too many, no one should die this way, is because it's someone else's hand. Absolutely. They're black because they're brown, because they're Latinx, because people don't accept them as who they are. And I just wanted to throw that out there because um, you know I'm very blessed to have had the life I've had prior to coming out eight years ago. And um, I know that none of that would have been possible if I had just been born a different race. Um, I can even speak a little bit to that because I'm also of Native American descent. And where I've had all of all kinds of ways of doors opening for me, um, we're still trying to work with the tribe to get my IDs changed, get my name changed, get my gender changed, uh, and it actually goes against our tribal constitution. Uh, and so it it's uh, an interesting battle. They're telling me that uh, 
once I get my birth certificate changed and I reapply for my certificate of degree of Indian blood, then I can reapply to the tribe for citizenship. Otherwise, my citizenship is under my dad name. Okay. Wow, I didn't mean to presume that you were a white uh, or Caucasian, and well, I you, wish you luck my, my in your hair, struggles. My hair is red. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean nothing, but I do, no. I, I do, I do honor your um, your tradition and your heritage, and I hope that um, greater minds prevail. Well, one question I do have, because one thing that you and I do share is we're both deep. We're not just Midwesterners; we're big eight deep Midwesterners. You were born in Oklahoma. You were born, you were born in that place I was programmed to hate for a lot of years, Norman, Oklahoma. Yes. I'm from the. I, I was born in Nebraska. Wait, programmed the, to hate? What do you mean programmed to hate? Sooners, Sooners, Husker. Dawn's from the East Coast. She doesn't this is understand. Like a Yankees, she doesn't understand. Yankees, Red Sox yeah, thing? you don't. You don't understand how much, how deep that, how deep ingrained that was between Nebraska and Oklahoma for for. In fact, this year is the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. Yeah. Coronavirus permitting, we'll have the coronavirus permitting. We're going to have that game and that reunion and coronavirus permitted permitting. I'm going to be in Norman to see all that because they're bringing every living member of both teams. Well, that'll but, be amazing. Yeah, they're bringing every living member will be there for it. They're having a big thing before the game because the two teams are going to play this year. But for you growing up the way you did, what? What was the hardest part of growing up in the middle of the Middle West and having to deal with all the things that were soaring around your head? Having having had that experience, I can I'm looking back on it now, I'm still processing it. What it was like to having to deal with this while just growing up. I uh, you know, growing up with the people around you perceiving you as one gender when your heart is a ge different gender is an interesting predicament to begin with. Um, I was fortunate that uh, my mom's sister lived close by and I have two cousins that are from my mom's sister and they're both girls. And so they're close to my age. And so we got to hang out together. Um, we didn't necessarily do girl things. Matter of fact, my, my cousin Cheryl's the one that taught me how to throw a football, throw a spiral correctly. She's the one that taught me how to play baseball. Um, my dad was trying to take care of the family and, and working all the overtime hours that he could. So he was only coming home pretty late at night. Um, but so I had those experiences of being able to be associated uh, with my gender, you know, uh, through my cousins. Um, my mom asked me one day, she said, how come you walk in heels so easily and so well? And I told her, I said, mom, we're from Oklahoma. And she goes, well, what does it have to do with it? I said, you put my feet in the cowboy boots before I could walk. And I, I've worn Facts. heels my whole life. They were just called cowboy boots. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and so, so you, you have those things. You, you have that identification. Also, because of the fact that I spent a lot of time alone in, in, as a kid growing up, I, I had, you know, a, a huge library of books. My my mom's dad, my grandfather, um, was the custodian at the local library. And so when a book's cover was destroyed to where they couldn't put it back together again, he would go, you know, the words are still good. And he'd bring me the books. And so I had this whole library of, of books that didn't have covers to them. But it gave me a chance to kind of pull off and just live in my own life and read all the time. Um, so a lot of my friends just thought 
I was the weird kid that lived in, in the bedroom and read everything they could get their hands on. Um, but it gave me a chance to, to learn to be me, you know, without having all those external pressures on the outside. Now, how much do these experiences, and in fact, all the experiences you've had working through your process, how do you feel that's played in to, in a played into how you've handled dealing with this legislation that's come down in regards to the anti-trans legislation? Uh, how do you feel it's come out in the in the passion and the emotion that you've put into it? I I heard your speech at the most recent hearing. I watched it, <laughs> and what I heard was at one level very stri uh, at one level yes, elected official saying the facts, but at another level there was a certain there was a thunder there. There was a there was a passion. There was an emotion there. This clearly wasn't just a matter of my political stands or my official stands or elected official stands on the issue. There was a there was a note that this is personal. This means something deeper than just a vote and just a law. Yeah, there's um it ties into my heritage. It it ties into um the fact that I'm Native American. Uh it ties into, you know, things that we don't think about much. Um, in 1883, the Indian Crimes Act was passed, which basically made it illegal to be a Native American. Your skin color wasn't gonna change, but you weren't gonna be allowed to speak your language. You weren't gonna be allowed to practice your religions. You weren't gonna be allowed to have your marriage ceremonies. Uh, and when you start looking at how all that dovetails right into what's happened here in Kansas' legislation, where they passed legislation that you know tells you that you you that LGBT marriages are parody marriages instead of you know things that they really are. When they tell you that you can't practice the medicine necessary for LGBT youth for trans youth to be able to have a thriving life, uh, when they turn around and, and tell you that that you know we're not going to let trans kids play sports, we're going to erase them. And to know that in the United States there was a cultural genocide that went on. Um, up until 1934, when uh, Roosevelt turned around and, and signed the uh, American Indian Reorganization Act, which started to let these things come back into place where Natives can have those things. You know, um, that's my great-grandparents, you know, that they, they couldn't even get married in a U.S. courthouse at the time they got married because it was illegal because she was Native American. She wasn't considered an American citizen. So they got married in the Chickasaw Nation courthouse. And so that touches it and brings it in to make it even more personal at that point in time, because I realize that I'm a survivor of that. I'm also, you know, a, a white collar kid of a blue collar family and knowing how much that means and knowing how people look at, at people that, that they go through and put them out as others. And, you know, having been othered my, my life and, having seen my own students who were transgender walk that walk and just wanting to protect them so that they didn't feel othered, that they knew they were somebody who was wanted, somebody who was personal, somebody who was important in this world. Um, those are the things that really kind of touch base with me. And when this legislation comes through, it's hard not to take it personally. In the case of the SB 208, the anti-trans athletic bill, the original sponsor of the bill was somebody that I had gone to college with 
back in the 80s in Oklahoma and somebody that I had taught with at Wichita North High School before my transition. Oh. And so she knew me before transition and she knew when I transitioned because she was still an administrator in Wichita schools when I transitioned. And so it's hard for that not to be felt as personal because it is somebody who would recognize me and know me instantly when we would talk with each other. Have, you spoken, have you spoken to that person? No. Would you, would you, if you had an opportunity, what would you say? Um, I don't know what I would say, honestly. I think that that's one thing I need to make sure that I can kind of take a step back because I am so angry with her um, on, on so many levels because of this. I, you know, it, as we know, there is no point in there being you know, an anti-trans and sports bill. That makes no sense. You know, it, it, we, there, in, in the time that we've had, you know, transgender participation in the Olympics, we've had transgender participation in college athletics. How many trans athletes have we seen as champions? You know, it just doesn't really happen. You know, and if we, zero, if we, zero, if we zero, bring zero. up Cece Telfer, she won an NCAA division two, but her, her time in the 400 meter hurdles, it's like a second and a half slower than NCAA division one times, you know? So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that somebody would even, even bring this up and do this. And here in Kansas, we have five kids that are transgender playing athletics in the whole state. We don't know because of records. We don't know if it's trans girls or trans boys. We assume it's probably trans boys mostly. And, you know, we're not seeing trans kids taking down state records. It's not happening. And when and when a trans person does win, sure, it shows up in the newspaper. But it also showed up in the newspaper when a cis girl in Virginia won the 106-pound weight division in wrestling, you know. And when those things happen, they, they, they show up. We just don't see how many times that, that doesn't show up, you know, when it's over and over again, people just being people, you know, living their lives and doing what they can. Um, and so, yeah, I get kind of passionate about it because it does feel like it becomes a personal attack at me. Stephanie, from what you've, from what you've done, for example, you talked about it earlier, how people are seeing you in this sense. People see you. People are seeing your face. A high school rallied around you. And now there are more and more people are saying, wait a minute, that, yeah, yes, that's my representative. That is a state representative up there. But I want to put this in a sporting parlance. Let's say that there is a kid. Um, let's say there, there's, a, there's a trans girl. Goes to Wichita North. Was a star, was a star player. Was a star player, possibly even a Lynette Woodard good player. Is Kansas ready to see a trans girl wearing a Jayhawk or a Wildcat uniform? Is this, is that state ready for that? Is any state ready with a major university at that level? Do you think your is your state ready to see that? I think we're on the edge. I think we're close. Um, I, I think that, you know, if if we were talking about a, a trans boy, the answer would be yes. We'd have you, no problem with that. So let me make sure, right, a, tra a trans boy as a Wichita State shocker as your point guard. You think Wichita think State fans are ready for that? There, if, if, 
if they could play at that level, absolutely. Um, I think that it's going to take a little bit longer for trans girls to get there, but I think we're getting closer all the time. You know, one of the things that was maybe the biggest surprise in my election, I won by 11 percentage points as a trans person running in a conservative state. You know, yeah, my district tends to lean Democratic all the time anyway, but 11 percentage points, that's a statement. That was that was people saying, you know, we're saying gender is not as important here. We're saying that it's it's about what the person can do. And I, I think that we're probably going to be looking at the same thing when it comes to athletics. It's going to be a long, it's going to be a bit of a road to get there, I, I believe. But I think that, that we've already made that turn where we can start moving forward to that. But, you know, it's going to come down to what athletes do, you know. Um, I have two granddaughters here in town, here in Wichita, and they're little kids at this point in time. But as they grow and become stronger and bigger, I know from who their mom is and who their dad is that they're not going to think anything about gender. They're just going to think I can do what I need to do and how I need to do it. And they're not going to put any roadblocks in. And they're they're both cisgender girls at this point in time. And I don't I don't know that it's that going to change or not. But you know, it's who they are. And I think that that's the other thing too is that we need to stop putting limitations on people. And assuming that that somebody can't compete at a certain level, that everybody can, we can step up and do greater things than what we 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 think we can, because some of it's just limited because we've not really pushed the envelope as far as we can yet. Well, you mentioned before that there were guitars behind you. People who are listening and not on Zoom like we are can't see those guitars. But I want to ask you about your two passions, one of which is music, and the other is Star Wars. <laughs> Um, so when we were talking earlier in the prep and we were talking about my wife and I watching all the Star Wars films, starting with episode one, uh, and working our way through, because we're both 58 years old, one of the first movies that we went and saw together was episode four. And, you know, we, we saw it at a little theater, uh, on campus of the University of Oklahoma, um, and, you know, it just off the campus there. And we saw it, I don't know how many times, you know, we, we were in the same church youth group. We saw it as youth group. We saw it in small groups. We saw it with our families. And so it's something that really kind of resonates with us. And as we had, you know, lived our lives apart for so long, we had missed most of those Star Wars movies apart from each other. And so with the pandemic and everything, we just sat down and said, let's see what we can do. Let's... How do we want to do this? We want to start with four, go four, five, six, then one, two, three. And we decided, no, let's go one, two, three. And then when we got to the end of three, we jumped over to solo. And then we did uh, Rogue One and then four, five, six, and seven, eight, nine. Uh, we did not go into any of the animated films because, you know, much, much to the chagrin of my sons, they, they both thought we should have put the animated films in too. Uh, done, gone through the, the Clone Wars series. Um, but, uh, you know, for us, we, we did what we did and it was, it was enjoyable. And over how many hours did you do this? Oh, well, depending upon how we actually figured it, we started one morning and went through, and I think we got on the first day, got in through the end. I think we started at six and we went through, went from, from episode one all the way through episode six. 
and then went to bed and the next day started up again uh, <laughs> and did seven, eight, and nine. Oh, I, I could think of so many things to say, but I will just say that um, it's a different point of view, shall we say? <laughs> You'll be able to watch them all at once. It's very, it's very interesting. And, and surprisingly, how well they actually all tie together, even with all the plot holes that, that are there. They somehow, when you see them all back to back to back to back to back, it starts to make sense. And The Mandalorian, are you a fan of The Mandalorian? I am, yes. Yep. Um, my, my favorite tweet, I think, of recent time was Mark Hamill's uh, response when the last episode dropped, when he said, has anybody seen any good television lately? Seen any good television lately. <laughs> Um, well, one thing I want to know is what what was your thoughts on on the way that the whole on the way that the saga quote unquote ended? I don't think it's going to end. I think there's a continuation somewhere. But those but these last three films, because some have loved them, a lot of people have panned them. What's your take on it? You know, I tried just to sit back and enjoy the movie for what it was. You know, uh, you know, would it stand alone? You know, and, and I think each of the films pretty much stands alone, um, except for The Empire Strikes Back. You really have to go beyond it. Otherwise, it just it seems like a weird film. Well, what but, a great sequel, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen the same person direct those last three so that there would have been a continuity there. Um, and I think that changing to Ryan Johnson there and – in episode eight kind of shifted things around a little bit uh maybe more so but um it wasn't a big stretch of my imagination to figure out how all that fit together you know and it just made sense to me um so i you know it's a film <laughs> you know it's not real life as much as we like to maybe make things out that be but the the fantasy world there you know it it worked it worked and I like the idea of possibility of the next generations coming out. You know, what's going to happen after this? Um, being a Star Wars aficionado as well, um, I always ask this question, so I'm going to ask you. If, you, could, if, you. if somebody could hand you the keys to one vehicle in the Star Wars universe, and it could be anything, and said, here, Stephanie, have at it, what would you want? Um, speeder bike. Now that's a, from Endor yeah, and from the Mandalorian, yeah. right? Yep. I, I take a speeder bike, but you know, my, my Yamaha is sitting out in the garage and, <laughs> and pretending to be a Harley Davidson. So I've got to get it fixed. so I can ride it again. I got to say, um, the Endor uh, scenes with the speeder bikes would not be the commercial I would use if I was selling them since they kept crashing into trees but they seem to work better in the Mandalorian at open desert. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, but would be kind of cool. Guitars, speeder bikes, that works. Yeah, absolutely. So Stephanie, I wanted to ask you one more question. If after teaching, you decided not to go into politics, what would you be doing now? Um, I'd be running uh, the insurance and billing side of my wife's therapy practice. Both interesting challenges, one much more public facing <laughs> and working with your um, spouse can, uh, shall we say, be 
interesting. <laughs> well, we have a company together where we go out and we do uh, gender presentations. Do you? Um, That's great. Yeah, we do. And uh, so we've done several around for different organizations and things, but Tell we us, do, the, is it, does it have a Twitter account or a website we can promote? Um, it's uh, just gender.training. We'll put so it on our social media. Yeah. It's, uh, I, we have, we've been kind of a little less active because of the pandemic. We, yeah. we looked at doing things by, you know, doing virtual trainings, but it seemed like it was just better when we did it in person. One of the areas that we focused on is we focused on other therapists. Uh, Lori is one of the few people that is an affirmative care certified therapist here in the area. And there are so many people in this area that are looking for therapy, especially along gender ideas, that the therapists that, that are specialize in that are overwhelmed. And so we're constantly working with other therapists to help give them some of the basic understanding so that they can take on some of the client load um, and also be better suited for the clients they already see. Well, this has been fascinating and what a multifaceted, interesting individual we had this week. I would say that of all the legislators we've talked to, we've talked to Sarah McBride and we've talked to Danica Rome and all these other folks, you are in a class that is uh, to be envied. Um, you're, you're a trailblazer. Thank you. And I'll tell you right now, especially as things continue to develop in Kansas, we want to have you back. That's for certain. But I just want to know one thing. Can you still throw a spiral? <laughs> um, I have not gone out and thrown a football in a very long time. <laughs> like riding a bike, they say, you know. <laughs> I'll yes. tell you what. If we can get Carly out to, out to Wichita in the area, we'll have her uh, throw the ball around a little bit. How's that? Well, we can definitely try that. Um, right. I, I have I have not tried to to throw a ball since I transitioned. So yeah, well, some some things get in the way. I can tell you right now. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, they do. <laughs> it took me a while to to relearn how to play the guitar. I bet it. <laughs> Stephanie Byers, thank you, Representative Stephanie Byers. Thank you for coming to the transporter room. Carly, set coordinates for Wichita and beam her back down. Thank beam you. Beam her back. Representative Byers, great having you. And yes, we want you to come back. Live long and prosper. Thank you. And may the force be with you. <laughs> Carly, it's been a fun adventure. I look forward to our next one. I look forward to it as well. That was a, a, another great show with a very fascinating, fascinating person there. And... It just shows, shows. It just goes to show you, when you look beyond, when you look beyond the labels, there's so much there. We'll put all our social media tags on Facebook and Twitter, and I'll see you next week. Steady she goes. Live long and prosper. We'll see you all next week.